I'll say this. I hate when I have slow internet and I hate getting hostility from business computer guys. Uh, If you're sick and tired of yours and your network's not running properly, if he takes forever to call you back, are you paying the company good money to keep things working but you're still having constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues, does your head hurt from having to deal with all of this? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom at Heritage Digital, 843-664-8989. Heritage is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your network runs correctly all the time. It's for one low monthly fee. Uh, I know that When I've done this before, one low monthly fee is great. With clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So please call my friend Matthew Odom of Heritage today, 843-664-8989. That's 843-664-8989 or heritagedigital.com and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and for all. This portion of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by Heritage Digital. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Happy Friday, everyone. July 30th. Hope you're preparing for your weekend well. Been a very eventful week in the world of college football, Gamecock fans, podcast, website. Wow. Uh, this, may, this may be one of the most interesting and entertaining uh, weeks on the history of the bigspur.com, just with all the interaction and speculation and all this other stuff. Uh, felt like the podcast has been very topical this week. Just uh, really having a good time with it. So I will say this. Um, and get this out of the way first. Uh, it's kind of a shame because uh, I'm having I'm having fun and practice starts next week and all that. But I scheduled a vacation um, back in April, and you know I, I we were supposed to go over the fourth to Myrtle Beach, and then uh, that didn't work out, so we couldn't get another rental place until this week. So I'm heading to Myrtle Beach tomorrow. Um, I'll be on the message board a bit. Uh, no new podcast. There will be some podcast that will pop live uh, next week. Um, probably not every day, but there will be some. Uh, I've got an interview in the can for you. I think you'll enjoy. I've got some preview stuff uh, toward the first of the week, previewing the season, offense and defense. And we will uh, we will have that for you. Also on the bigspur.com. Be on the message board, like I said. Uh, probably not as much as I am now for those of you that are on that. So just want to let you guys know a little house cleaning, uh, as they call it, you know, scheduling programming note, all that good stuff, but you know, keep your questions flowing in to the, I help consulting mailbox. You can get there by tweeting to at the big spur pod or go to inside the gamecocks at gmail.com in terms of your, uh, email inbox pit. I help consulting inbox. Uh, I will answer every question when I get back, even if it takes a full episode. I'm sure there'll be lots to talk about. 
probably towards the end of the following week is when I'll be back. Be gone for about 10 days. So that's uh, that's the schedule right now for old J.C. Sherbert. And again, this week normally is not a vacation week, like I said. So that's, um, you know, that's just kind of how it went this year. <laughs> uh, if I do take a vacation in August, it's normally like at the end, right before the season starts or Labor Day weekend. But it, it just, you know, you guys know how life happens. And, you know, during this crazy time, we've to be alive, you know, scheduling and, and stuff like that sometimes gets out of whack, uh, along with just about everything else. If you've uh, been at the gas pumps lately, you'll know what I'm talking about or gone to the grocery store and seen these weird shortages. Um and all that good stuff. So, you know, let's talk a little uh, little football. You know, we've been topical this week. Expansion NIL, how does that affect the Gamecocks? Uh, answering questions, um, the news today. <clears throat> and again, this segment's brought to you by Heritage Digital, who you heard from at the top of the show. Uh, you know, today you have um, the official, official announcement that Texas and Oklahoma are in. Uh, and it's like, boy, that happened fast. Uh, Ray Tanner, South Carolina's athletic director, did release a statement. He says the addition of the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma into the Southeastern Conference will excite Gamecock student-athletes, coaches, and fans. 30 years ago, the University of South Carolina accepted an invitation to join the SEC. Each day since, the young men and women who have represented our program have benefited from the conference's mission. The SEC continues to be positioned well for the athletic and academic success, uh, and we are for academic and athletic success, and we are proud to be part, part of such a great conference that enriches the experience of our student-athletes. The SEC is the best and toughest athletic conference in the nation. Our student-athletes and coaches have always enjoyed competing in this great league and look forward to the opportunity to do so against the Longhorns and Sooners as members of the SEC. Um, the statements that have come out today uh, on this topic have all been, you know, 2025, <laughs> as far as the dates go. Uh, again, I think there's strong speculation that'll happen sooner. I'm sure there's an army of attorneys working both ways uh, on some sort of settlement. You know, the Big 12 has, has sort of come out and Bob Bullsby had a statement that said, well, we'll, you know, through 2025, you know, we want to make their student athletes feel good about it. I, I don't know. You know, I think it's, it's going to be kind of a mess. Uh, we all have, have seen NFL franchises move and be stuck in the cities they're in. Um, you know, a harsher analogy is probably getting a divorce and living in the same house. I know some people, I know two people that have done that. Uh, one lasted quite a while, um, and uh, she's a, uh, a saint, in my opinion, for, for being able to put up with that and do that. Uh, and then another one, uh, another one of our friends, you know, he had to get out. So that's, um, you know, that, that's, that didn't happen to me, but that's, uh, I know some people that have. And so that, it's an uncomfortable situation, um, you know, and, and there's, talk that at the Red River rivalry this year, they're going to be chanting SEC, SEC, SEC uh, for a Big 12 game, and that's not going to be good either. So I, I don't know. I don't know that I buy that, you know, 2021, 22, 23, 24, there's going to be four years of them competing still in the Big 12. Um, 
Now, look, if you're their football pro, if you're Texas's football program um, under Sarkeesian, you're you're looking to uh, amass enough talent and you know win enough games. And, and this is speculation. Let's just say that it does last that long. You're looking for a big four years. You know, you're you're, you're looking to kind of turn it around. Um, you know, and and all that. Of course, if it's four years from now, you you can't really recruit on that. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what's going to happen there, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. So you, uh, you know, you got to get ready for the league. Uh, and that means, uh, you know, I, I look at Texas in particular and I'll start with the Longhorns, you know, they've got good players, good athletes. They're just not a very tough program right now. Um, and that happens, you know, you, you see programs with talent that just can't get it done. Uh, so that's a, uh, on Oklahoma's end, uh, I think offensively they their skill, talent, and what they've got at quarterback and all that good stuff is second to none in the country. Uh, offensively, defensively, still a work in progress, as we all know. So that's a chance for Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch and those guys to kind of beef up that side of the ball before they enter. But like like I said, I you know if we're sitting around here in four years saying this is the year it happens, then um you know. I I would be surprised. Now, if you're Carolina, if you're a Carolina fan, uh, and you know you don't agree with anything I've said about how it's not going to be that negative of an impact, depending on what happens, um, you know, the, if you think just Texas and Oklahoma being in the league is going to, you know, kill the Gamecocks or bury the Gamecocks forever or whatever, then then you're probably pretty relieved and happy because you know that gives Shane Beamer four years. Uh, to build hypothetically a, a a team that can withstand the entrance, I, I still don't think it's it's a huge deal. I, I think South Carolina, you know, with one or two more recruiting classes, could could probably line up against the Texas of today and, and beat them pretty good. I, I think. I mean, you know, depending on you know, like I said, what, what is Sark keys, Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian, that's Sark. We refer to him as Sark sometimes, um, depending on what he's going to do. What is his culture like? Keep in mind, this guy was at Alabama, but at the same time, you know, as a head coach and, and his career before he kind of came East and, you know, got the, the, the off the field job and then went to the Falcons and then came back, you know, He's West Coast guy, Washington, and then uh, you know University of Southern California. So it's a pack. He's really a Pac-12 coach. So we'll see. I'll say this about Sark: I've, you know, he and Joe Brady the last two years in the SEC have lit him on fire because you know they've been in a zone play calling wise, and they've also had overwhelming talent. You know, don't don't forget about that. Um, sometimes it's hard to discern if a team has really good talent, if, if their play calling is good or not, because they're just going up and down the field. But you watch, uh, especially like the national championship game last year, the plays Alabama was dialing up against a really good Ohio State team. And, and you'll see what I mean. Same thing with LSU against Clemson and the teams they played the previous year with Joe Brady. So anyway, that's enough about that. That is the news of the day. Um, there's some speculation out there about super conferences. Uh, one interesting thing about on the eastern end of the, the country or of the conference, uh, outgoing Florida State President John Thasher did an interview with that Tallahassee Democrat, and his direct quote was, we don't want to get left behind. 
we have a strong brand. Clemson has a strong brand. I think people are coming after us. So that's, you know, obviously alarm bells went off in South Carolina and Florida about that because, you know, that's kind of strong speculation. And the presidents are the ones that are in on these discussions. People have to keep that in mind too. Uh, You know, like, and then there's the super conference thing that we talked about on the board yesterday, 32 teams, uh, Andy Staples, Th- the 32 teams was speculated on by Mark Schlebaugh of ESPN. And then Andy Staples writes a column um, and listed 24 teams, according to a TV source that would be in South Carolina was not one of them. Uh, Iowa was, Wisconsin was, there were some other schools, but uh, here's my take on that. Number one, I'm not buying the super conference talk right now. Uh, I think that's a bridge too far. Uh, I think an expanded playoff was expected. Uh, I think that uh, if Texas and Oklahoma called up the SEC two years ago and said they wanted in, they would have been in. Uh, I just don't think that as a conference, you're in a position to turn down both of those schools. Uh, I quite frankly thought uh, if there was a next round of expansion that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State may be it and Texas would remain on their own, but I mean, you can, you just can't turn that down. And it's not just about money. I mean, it's about adding two really, really good athletic departments to your portfolio and large fan bases, iconic brands, the number four, number six, overall winningest programs in college football history. I mean, shoot, it just doesn't get any better than that. So, you know, th- that's my opinion on all the stuff that's kind of surprised this summer. Um, the super conference talk. Uh, you know, what's interesting about it is it, it sort of comes on the heels of that uh, English Premier League soccer, whatever they were going to do with European soccer. I don't follow that. I know some of you do. More power to you. I know some of you are very passionate about it. Uh, some people that work for me are very passionate about it. I'm not criticizing people that like, you know, European soccer at all. I'm just saying we don't do things that way in America with things like relegation and stuff like that. Uh, in teams, team sports, you know, golf, maybe, yeah, you don't make the cut or you don't qualify for the major, whatever you do there, NASCAR, things like that. Maybe there's qualifying, but it, it, you know, you're not going to see college football programs move up and down in tiers like European soccer. Uh, and I do understand that the, the folks, a lot of the national folks that cover um, college football love. So, I mean, I think they love that more than they love college football judging about, judging on some of their hot takes over the years, right? And tweets and, and they really get into it because, you know, they're supposed to be cool and nifty and show that they're sports fans, but uh, got to remain neutral when it comes to college football and just judge it from on high uh, or whatever and write snippy little columns and stuff like that. So, so, so this, this whole speculation may be facilitating from, you know, people's love of European soccer. And and there's an article on The Athletic that sort of admits that. Uh, relegation, super conferences, whatever. Uh, and mentioned Sankey with it or what. Sankey may be a fan, but uh, here's the thing. If there is a – and what was scary to Gamecocks was, you know, if you talk about a 32-team NFL-style super conference with divisions and playoffs and stuff like that, there's 65 power five teams. And and the comment was, well, not every power five team is going to make it into the super league. And, you know, the sec is the one pushing this. You have to think this, you know, because of the unanimous support for this recent round of expansion. um, And because, you know, you didn't have besides A&M's 
theatrical performance, <laughs> which I think was more for their board and their the board of regents and their fans and the people that were in the dark about this. And you notice they changed their tune pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, I think if this had caught everybody off guard and there was something like coming, you know, that, that you may have seen some discussion around the league and, and some people saying, Hey, you know, is it really, we're making enough money here. Is it really best for us to add these two and make it even, you know, they, but it was all unanimous in sunshine and rainbows. I just read you the uh, statement from Ray Tanner. Uh, say what you want about him, but you know, Ray always does what's in the best interest of the university of South Carolina, same way everywhere else. Same with Harris Pastides, uh, all that stuff. Um, and all the presidents and athletic people that talked about this were all like, all right, let's, you know, there, there was just no question. And so here's what that leads me to believe. If, and it's a big if, Greg Sankey is putting together a super conference for football, NFL style, all that. And look, I want to let you know right now, uh, I was against uh, expanding the playoff. I was a kind of a four-team guy. Uh, I, I was totally against going to eight because I felt like the group of five would get an auto bid in that case. And, you know, I, I just – I've used the example before. If you have a two-loss Texas A&M team that's lost to Alabama, LSU, Alabama, LSU are the, you know, top two teams in the country arguably. Uh, and then you put in a 12-0 Coastal whose best wins are over Kansas and BYU. I think – I think it's unfair because, you know, Coastal didn't have to play Alabama and LSU. Um you know, so then that eight that eighth spot is a lot is about a lot of that. You know that kind of thing. Um, when you start talking about group of five and everything like that, but twelve to me and the way they formatted it made a lot of sense because you know it, it opens it up to the G five schools with uh, you know in, in case let's say one conference has a lower lower like a, a an upset in the championship game or a lowly low ranked champion like the Pac twelve last year. Well, then, you know, you could get two group of five champions uh, in the league. Uh, and if they go to four conferences and the Big 12 dissolves, uh, then they're going to get two in the playoff every year in a 12-team format. Of course, they said they paused that uh, and all that. But, I, you know, like I said, I I was kind of resistant to, to that change. And, you know, I, I like adding Texas and Oklahoma because I think it makes sense for the league. Um and it may facilitate things like West Virginia going back where they belong. And then, you know, I'm a big geography guy, you know, and Oklahoma, because Missouri's in the league, Arkansas's in the league, the Texas schools are in the league, Oklahoma makes sense. Now, as my friend Josh Pate pointed out the other day, the SEC footprint now borders the states of Colorado and New Mexico. <laughs> that's a little different, right? But, um, and that's that little part of Oklahoma that does. But I, I you know, to me, uh, all right, more power to everybody. You know, I just uh, – obviously, Texas borders New Mexico, too, but um, a little part of Oklahoma, I think, borders Colorado. Uh, but, look, man, um, you know, that's cool. It, it makes sense, I think, you know, in terms of fan bases, those fan bases are – especially Texas is an SEC-type fan base. Oklahoma's a big, large fan base. You know, more power to them at it. Uh, but, you know, some of this stuff, I, you know, I've been a little iffy about I am fundamentally against a 32-team super conference under any circumstances and not just because of South Carolina. I think that what you do in that situation is – sorry about that. 
That wasn't red. That was the other dog. She never barked. I don't know what the heck she's barking at out there. She's she's back on the back porch sometimes. She stares out. There's a dog about 500 yards away that I think she has a crush on. And whenever he comes around, she barks and says, I don't know. A coyote came through the yard the other day, and she was out on the porch with me, and she failed to bark at it or scare it away. So I have no idea. No idea. We have a fence, though. Don't worry about the coyotes coming up in the yard. Yeah, Red's not here. I took him to the pet hotel already because of vacation. But um, so sorry about the barking. But anyway, uh, so where was I? Yeah, so I, I'm against it. I, I think it's it makes for once the novelty wears off, sort of here we go again football. Now, now the reason the NFL works, in my opinion, uh, and there are great franchises, and there are franchises that typically struggle. Uh, and then the rest of them sort of go up and down. It's like SEC basketball in a lot of ways uh, to the nth degree because that league is designed uh, to have parity. You know, with salary caps, you have, um, you know, the draft, you have this. Now, now, look, you can't have a draft in college. It's still college. You know, yeah, maybe you can if you break off and you you, you say, well, th- these are uh, college-affiliated programs, but they're not really part of the college. Um, everybody's got their choice as to what you know where to go to college. I mean, you have a kid that's a really good football player, and you draft him and make him go to the. I mean, yeah, come on, come on, man, that's not going to happen. Uh, maybe you cap the NIL thing. Uh, in that case, the teams that get left behind are just going to outspend you. I mean, they, you know, there, there's some there's some really interesting programs out there that, that are probably going to get left out. That you know, they're going to get mad and start doing that. So I, I just uh, so, so if you just keep it as is and say we're going to have 32 teams in a play, it's not going to work. It's going to get really stale. It's going to be like playing in the Outback Bowl four times in five years. You know, part of what makes college football great is. You know, you have a new season, fans, unlike the NFL, and fans do travel in the NFL, don't get me wrong, but unlike the NFL, you know, you have great road trips, you know, family. I mean, it's it's not pro sports. Um, and so I don't know, you know, but, but my, and I'm against it. So I'm, I'm totally with South Carolina, without South Carolina, whatever. I'm against that. Um but my feeling is, like I said, if, if if there is, if that rumor is true, then I, I do think that the SEC, probably all 16 will be a part of it. Because I just can't imagine all the, the, the all the schools in this league, you know, oh, yeah, look, this Texas, Oklahoma, great, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, everybody getting behind this as easy as they did with little resistance, uh, knowing that hey, in a couple of years, maybe they're going to lop half of you off. That that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, that would be that would be a bad day for college athletics in general. So, you know, I'll stop with the super team talk. Now, now our super conference talk. Uh, now, Florida State and Clemson, I can't rule it out. Uh, everything I've ever known about Clemson University is they don't want any part of the SEC. They want the you know, committed to the ACC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But everything I knew about the University of Texas prior to uh, two weeks ago was the same, you know. Uh, and and times are changing. Um, and, and if you are Clemson, now is a good time if you're going to make that transition to make that transition because you're one of the best programs in the country right now. If you're Florida State, you probably feel like, hey, we can get back. 
and, and get a roster together to compete in that league, depending on when it happens. The ACC escape clause, I guess, is 50 million a school. Um, you know, so I, well, I, I come up with 50 million. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. Would the SEC pay it? I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm skeptical a bit about that. Just the Florida State president that said that because all this is handled at the presidential level. You know, I don't know. You know, <laughs> was he pulling a Bob Caslin and saying something he shouldn't? Uh, was he kind of just speculating and maybe, you know, throwing a, a lure in the water, so to speak, saying, hey, we'd, we'd be interested. I, I don't know what, what the motivation was on it. I just know he said it. So we'll see. But I, I think adding having an 18-team league with Clemson and Florida State coming in um, and see that – and then if you start thinking about a SEC-led super conference, then you're starting to think, well, we just, you know, took the Big 12's top two. Uh, we just took the ACC's top two. Um, Notre Dame's not joining their league, hypothetically speaking, you know. And and so then you start looking and be like, well, you know, we got 14 spots to fill from coast to coast, you know, for out of the remainder of the Big 12, which I don't think any of those teams would get a seat at the table, the Pac-12, the Big 10, uh, and maybe some more of the ACC. So – you know, that may tell you something. It also may be that an 18 team league where you have, you know, 70% of the most significant brands in college football is a very, very, uh, I guess, uh, valuable asset, so to speak. And you just stop there. You know, I think 18 is a big number. Uh, I think that, you know, South Carolina plays Clemson anyway. You know, certainly the Gamecocks used to play Florida State all the time. I don't think it, you know, so much matters. You know, you'd have to start talking about pods again, and maybe it's a nine-team – I don't know. I don't know really how you'd you'd work the structure of it for football. Um, but that's a big league uh, with a lot of good teams if it happens. Um, so, you know, 32-team Super League where they lop off half the conference, 1% chance, I think, of happening – 32 team super conference down, and this is all down the road, probably 2030 or so. 32 team super conference where all 16 SECs are in, and then they take the best of the rest. 8% chance of happening. Um, Clemson and Florida State joining the league to be 18 teams, I'd say 13, 14%. That goes up uh, in my mind. But anyway, that's the expansion talk for today. Blah, blah, blah. We've talked about it and talked about it and talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. We got Gamecock stuff to talk about, folks. Uh, and again, thanks to Heritage Digital for always supporting that first kind of news and notes segment and this one as well. Uh, and we're going to get to the iHelp Consulting, final iHelp Consulting mailbag pre-JC vacation. <laughs> final one till, uh, gosh, August, mid-August, August 12th, something like that. Uh, when I'll be back. Uh, Bam Scott, Juco linebacker that's uh, transferring in from Juco. I think he's at Fort, was at Fort Scott. He's from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I think it was Fort Scott Junior College. It may be, I may be confusing that with Fort Wayne. Uh, really good player. Okay. I thought individually was a kind of a steal at the end. Um, Dodge City is where he is from. Um, you know, signed with the Gamecocks late, all that good stuff. 
Clayton White, South Carolina's defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, was talking uh, at the the Beamers Birdies golf outing uh, and told Helmer Granahan he's having some health issues right now, hurt a little bit, probably going to redshirt. And, and, and I'm going to say this. I don't think that's a bad thing. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, here are the reasons. And I know South Carolina is searching for linebackers this year and answers at that position, and I'm going to talk about that here in a second. Um. His junior college played a season in the spring, is my understanding. Uh, his body's probably tired. Uh, I think because he wasn't there all summer, he needs time in the weight room uh, to make that transition. I think this will be overwhelmingly good for him. And when you watch him on film, he's a hell of a player. Um, first guy, I can, I can remember South Carolina getting out of the state of Indiana in a long time. He's from Fort Wayne. Uh, but but I, th- I think this guy, you know, the red shirt situation may not be that bad for him. And you can still, the, the rules kind of revert this year. You can still play in four games and keep your red shirt. So maybe, you know, maybe by October, November, the last four games of the season, he's, he's ready to go and you give him some reps on special teams or whatever. Maybe he's ready to step in. So I don't know. So that taking him out of the equation, uh, because I, I own film, you know, depending on when he got in, I was like, you know, depending on how quickly he could adjust, I, I, I felt like he could probably start, but um, or at least play a lot. But you know, take him off the board. So who's going to be the starting linebacker? And I, I just kind of looked at it, and, I, and, and here's the way it is going in. I think to 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 preseason. I think Brad Johnson is the starter at Mike going in. Mo Kaba's behind him. I think Sherrod Green will be kind of penciled in as the starter at the other inside the will uh, linebacker. And I think Debo Williams is probably going to be behind him. Uh, and Damani Staley probably factors in at Mike a bit. But maybe Damani's top of the depth chart. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I think that we could end up with a number of combinations. I, I, I think for me, you know, all right. So, so as, as, as you guys, as fans and, and me as an analyst, recruiting guy, um, evaluator, projector, that kind of thing, uh, the tendency is probably to lean toward, Hey, it'd be great if Mo Caba and Debo Williams were the starting linebackers because the linebacker play has just been so poor. Um, of course, Brad Johnson played Sam last year. That's a different spot than what they're asking him to do now. Uh, I think Sherrod Green, you know, obviously he got hurt last year and was out. But I think in 2019, Sherrod had kind of a resurgent year, uh, played pretty well. He's got a lot of experience. He's been around a long time. Uh, so maybe that's a guy, you know, uh, uh, that starts. And, and, and I, I think that it's hard sometimes, you know, the tendency is to say to gravitate towards the new guys because they hadn't gotten out there and not played well. <laughs> oh, it's a new day. Mo Caba and Debo Williams are starting. But, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. I can't rule out anything. I can't rule out Rosendo Lewis starting. Uh, although Rosendo didn't look like a starter in the spring game, you know, he's hasn't, he hasn't played a whole lot since he's come there. Uh, a couple of two, three years. So the more he plays, will his natural instincts take over? Will he get comfortable? Those are all questions. Um, and we're sort of getting to the now or never stage with him. Uh, so those are all questions. Kobe Fields, 
you know, the true freshman from Louisiana, can he step in? I don't know. I think he's at least helping on special teams. Um, I do know this, you know, Jamar Brown, there are certain linebacker spots and, and, you know, I guess, uh, I don't call them for packages. We call them packages on defense, formations on offense. Packages on defense where I think he'll be a play a like a linebacker-esque position. But he's listed as a DB. And I think that's very I don't, I don't know. That's a sneakily underrated listing on the official roster. Uh, and I'll tell you why. He's six foot one, he's 208 pounds. Jamar Brown can run. Um little light for a linebacker. We've seen him, though, when he's been healthy. Got hurt last year like a lot of other people at the spot. We've seen him when healthy show some very natural uh, instincts and abilities, ball skills, that kind of thing, pass breakup. Uh, he may be a safety. I mean, I, you know, that, that just may be who he is, and I know everybody's worried about the safety position, Every you know, uh, just because of numbers there and talent level and all that. So I think that's an interesting listing on the roster. Uh, and I know he's going to play some of the linebacker spot or whatever uh, in certain deals, but if he's working with Torian Gray's group um, and he plays like I think he's capable of playing, there's your there's there, there, that could be an answer. I'm not going to declare that that's an answer, but that could be your answer right now. Because um, Jamar has always had a lot of upside, in my opinion. Um, just from watching him when he gets in games, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Justin Stepp also met with the media at the Beater, Be- Beamer's Birdie. Birdie, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, probably vacation's coming up pretty good for me, right? Uh, <laughs> birdies with Beamer golf outing. Uh, talked about some guys, talked about Josh Van having a pretty good run of it lately. Jalen Brooks uh, is a guy. Uh, he went through the some of the freshmen – with um, uh, John Whittle from TheBigSpur.com. You know, talked about Jakari Caldwell needing to play fast all the time. Uh, and that's in the media guide, folks. <laughs> There's a little scouting report that needs to play fast all the time. Uh, and I get that. You know, sometimes when guys are unsure about what they're doing, um, you know, in other words, like, all right, so you got three plays, you're a receiver, right? Uh, and you've learned two of them. Those two that you got down cold, you're going to go very, very fast. The third one, maybe you're going to be hesitant. Um, that's the same thing. I mean, that's the same thing with like even acting or something like that. You have a script. You don't, you know, the, the part of the script, you know, your lines, you can and, and kind of the magic takes over. Um, what you don't know, you're going to go slower. And I think it's life. You know, if you're just learning to drive, you're going to go slower most of the time than if you're very comfortable behind an automobile. It's just not as fluid. Uh, it's mental to physical uh, kind of deal. So that's probably what Jakari's doing. He's young. He's still trying to learn things uh, and getting after it. Um, you know, so he mentioned him as well. Uh, also, this was interesting. Peyton Mangrum, who is a walk-on from Eastside High School, who, by the way, when you watched him at Eastside, you're like, how in the hell does this kid not have at least some offers or opportunity? I mean, Eastside people up in – by the way, that's Hale McGranahan's alma mater up in Taylor's. Uh, and he walked on. I remember, I remember people talking about him. I remember liking him, saying that. And so, so Justin Stepp talks about him and Trey Atkins. And Trey Atkins, by the way, is also from Greenville County, right down the road at Hillcrest. 
and saying those guys were expecting things out of them. So, so, so here's the deal with some of these guys on scholarship at receiver. It's put up or shut up time uh, because they're going to get beat out by a former walk-on or a walk-on. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that happens in, in college ball all the time. Uh, if they don't step up, you know, and, and they don't complete, uh, I guess, you know, become more complete, become more reliable, better playmakers, that kind of thing. Um, so that's what Step mentioned. You know, I, I, I wrote an article uh, that will be released on the Big Spur at some point while I'm gone about, I called it Three Amigos. Uh, and I'll just throw this stat out, out there. If Ortre Smith, Amarian Brown, and um, Josh Van all can reach their freshman year catch totals, right? That's 70 catches. Uh, and these guys have those have had those years at the Power Five level, Brown at Georgia Tech and, you know, Smith and Van at South Carolina. Uh, you know, that kind of thing you, you sort of look at, that, that, that's understated. I don't, I don't think either one of those uh, – none of those three guys, in my opinion, uh, and hopefully I'm wrong because I, I like all of them, are going to be the, the wide receiver one. You know, Amari and Brown probably has a shot. After he gets, after he got there, and you know, we evaluated him further, and not just on tape. Uh, I compared him to Shy Smith when he signed. I kind of think more like Demir Bird now. Uh, of course, Demir Bird's in the NFL has been for a while, so you, you sort of like you know, that guy. He can run like Demir, um, and so I, I think that you know whoever came up with that comparison is probably more accurate than Shy. Shy is a little different than he was or he is shy was a little different than, than Amarian is, you know, so, so you don't know Amarian Brown could, and he's had a good summer in the weight room and all that. He, he could end up being the guy that's the, the outside threat takes the top off the defense all the time, you know, 50 catch guy or whatever, you know, he could do that. Um, or Trey Smith's capable of putting up more than 30 as well. Uh, it's just a matter just like with Rosendo Lewis. I mean, this guy hadn't played football in a long time. Um, so sometimes, you know, when you're trying to come back, things just aren't the same. Sometimes they never are. And then Josh Van, I, I think, you know, watching him in the spring game, he kind of seemed like just the normal old Josh Van. But, um, you know, Step continues to mention him. Beamer continues to mention him. You know, that kind of thing. And, and I think that's a positive. Uh, I think he's had problems holding on to the ball his whole career, just about. Um Ever since that drop in the belt bowl, which was big, he's he's had issues. If he can hold on the ball, you know, he had, he had, what, 18 catches as a freshman, 19 as a sophomore. And that year he was starting to come on and he got hurt again. And stay healthy. You know, you, you, get, you get 18, 19 out of Josh Van, that's a win. 30 out of old Trey, that's a win. Uh, Marion Brown can do what he did at Georgia Tech as a freshman. Uh, from a catch standpoint, you know, I don't expect him to have seven touchdown receptions like – uh, like he did when he tied Calvin Johnson's record at Tech. But, you know, you combine all those guys, that's 71 catches. That's a lot of catches uh, for receivers, you know. And that's not to mention, you know, the tight ends and all of that. Marcus Satterfield compared Luke Doty to Drew Brees, which was interesting. Um, Doty's a little taller than Drew Brees. But uh, also mentioned Ryan Tannehill, which I think's 
you know, another kind of interesting comparison because Tannehill, of course, played receiver at A&M. He, he really didn't start being a quarterback quarterback till he got to, co- to the pros. But, uh, you know, maybe that's a valid comparison. Of course, Tannehill's a bigger kid. Um, I don't know. You know, Luke Doty kind of reminds me of Luke Doty. And, and I'm going to say this. And we'll have more in my offensive preview that's going to pop next week when I really break down the quarterbacks. I'll say this about Luke. Uh, I I think that, you know, when you watch him, and if you're actually watching what he's doing, when he – and Satterfield mentioned this about his lower body getting the getting the foot, feet work right, footwork right. When you watch him and his feet are good, he can fire the ball in there with anybody. Quick release, good arm, that kind of thing. It's when he gets off kilter with his feet where the ball kind of goes different directions and, and all that good stuff. That's number one. Number two, um, people were upset about, you know, some of the incompletions or whatever during the spring game. The thing that worried me the most, just in terms of passing the ball, I, I'm, I'm not worried if, you know, Jason Brown's the better seven on seven quarterback right now. Uh, and that's nothing against Jason Brown. If Jason Brown shows up to preseason camp and beats Luke Doty out, then uh, that's good for the program. That's good for South Carolina because that, now you have a veteran quarterback and you can let Doty develop. You don't have to throw a freshman to the wolves, <laughs> so to speak. And, and, and if Brown beats him out, that means Brown is playing at a high level. Um of course, you know, the peanut gallery, the, the, the same people that believe that there was some vast conspiracy against Ryan Holinsky last year by Mike Bobo and that it was, you know, Bobo came to town with Colin Hill and was bound to determine starting, which, which is all lies. Um, you know, some of those people that, that, that believe that also believe based on, you know, throws in a scrimmage that, uh, you know, Brown should be starting right away. And I don't know, you know. I don't want to go through this at quarterback again. You know, went through the toxic situation with Jake Bentley and you and, and some folks in the fan base. You know, I don't know why Ryan Holinsky got a pass. Uh, he, he wasn't even close to the performance Jake Bentley had as a true freshman. Uh, and Jake did it with a much younger team and a much worse supporting cast and, and a much worse offensive line, um, you know. Uh, but Holinsky got a big pass even though they were four and eight. Uh, And then, you know, last year, Colin Hill just never had a shot to, even when he played well, everybody's like, he didn't play well. So whatever. Um, And then he didn't play well. And then he deserved to be benched. But, uh, you know, so that was toxic. (laughs) Helensky leaves. That, that, you know, and, and everybody jumps all over Luke Doty based on the end of last year and the beginning of this year. Now, now Luke, honestly, if, you're, if we're being honest with ourselves, Luke didn't play as well as Ryan did, and neither one played as well as Jake did as a true freshman. Um, but Luke also got thrown out there where the team quit, and there was no defense being played um, after the Missouri game. Everybody just decided defensive season was over. Uh, Chai Smith was missing until Kentucky. Uh, you know, who's he going to throw to? That, that kind of thing. It just it just didn't have a chance. You know, you, you didn't have a chance. At least Jake Bentley had Debo Samuel and Brian Edwards as a freshman and Hayden Hurst. Um, 
you know, Helensky had Kyle Markway, you know, Nick Muse at times. You had uh, Brian Edwards on that team, Shai Smith on that team. You know, there, there were some weapons, Rico Dowdle at running back, Tavian Feaster. Uh, you know, you had some players. And then, uh, you know, Doty was just Kevin Harris and Nick Muse at times. So, you know, so I'll say this. I, I think that, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully – Doty gets his uh, his footwork right in the passing game and and all that and and if not hopefully Jason Brown challenges him and if Jason's the best guy like I said uh, go with him I will tell you right now that the coaches don't see they don't see that happening you know they're hopeful that he passes Colton for second um and I think he can I, I really do I think uh, I, I don't think he's a bad player at all. And uh, he's a great kid, you know, great kid, hard worker, been working hard. So, you know, if there is a competition, uh, and and Satterfield made it sound like it was going to take a lot to beat Doty. Doty's our guy. We're always competing. You know, that's kind of like saying, hey, look, you know, if if Brown comes a million miles and, and happens to beat him out, he does. We're not closing it down. But Luke's pretty far ahead of him right now. And, and that's that's the reality of the situation despite of what, you know, what you may have saw in the spring game. Now, look, I'll give the Jason Brown fan club because um, I'm a fan too. I'm a member too. Uh, not over Luke Doty. If, if Luke's better, <laughs> you know, play the best one. I, same thing with Colin Hill and Ryan Holinsky last year. You play whoever they think's best gives them a shot to win. Coaches aren't stupid. Um you know, as far as Jason Brown goes, you know, for the Jason Brown fan club, I'll, I'll say that as someone that's evaluated quarterbacks before, if I were sitting at a seven-on-seven seven or watching pass drills, I like the way the ball comes out of Brown's hand. I do. It's a kind of a different release, but, boy, it gets there. It's accurate. He, he has a quick release. You know, he can sling it. You know, he threw for 3,000 yards in a football season. So that, that that shouldn't be a surprise. Great chemistry with E.J. Jenkins as well. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But uh, getting back to Doty specifically, I, I'll say this. I, I, I The things he needs to work on, footwork in the passing game is definitely one because you, you can just almost see it uh, in the spring game. The, the balls that weren't – or even last year, balls that weren't good, uh, Lou didn't have his feet set. The footwork, you know, the pass he threw to Jenkins that was the P.I., it probably would have been a touchdown. Early on, I mean, it just – I don't know if it was supposed to be a jump pass or something. His foot – you look at the way his body's all contorted and stuff. But there's other passes where he, he he sits in the pocket, sets his feet, fires, and it's a beautiful ball. Right there, I think the that same first drive, he hit Jaheim Bell right in the numbers in traffic. So – uh, he's got to do that. I think also this, and then the tendency when it get, when you have a quarterback that can run uh, is to think that that just comes naturally. Uh, and that's just something that, you know, they do. And, and for some, uh, I think it, it does. I, I'll say this for like Connor Shaw, it does, Savelle Newton, guys like that. Uh, I'll say this right now, though. I, you know, when I watch Doty run, yes, he's fast and athletic. But I think one thing, one of the things he does need to work on is to, to know how to run as a quarterback 
uh, at this level. And that means finding the seams, knowing when to tuck it and go, tucking it and going when it, when it happens, getting maximizing yardage. And he does that sometimes, and then it looks natural, other times not. So that's the thing, too. And then number three uh, in my keys to Luke Doty uh, being successful this year, and these these are all things that aren't like uh, kind of a – they're not deal breakers, I guess, you know, because they're things that – they're not necessarily things that if you're a good quarterback you have or you're not. They're things you need to work on. Uh, and there's a difference between that. If, if you're not ever going to have the arm strength – uh, to break a pane, you know, a, a pane of glass. Uh, I don't know, depending on how thick that pane of glass is. Maybe that's not a good analogy, but um, to throw the ball through wax paper, let's do that. That's a better analogy. Uh, then you're just not going to have it. I mean, you can lift weights or do whatever. You don't have an arm. You don't have an arm. Doty has an arm. These are all fundamental things that, you know, young quarterbacks transitioning to another level tend to have to work on Ryan Holinsky had to work on it. Uh, you know, Jake Bentley had to work on his foot footwork. I mean, Jake's footwork was a work in progress a lot, you know? So, so that has to, that has to happen. The, the running thing, knowing where to find the creases and stuff like that, that may just be like a comfort level, get natural kind of deal. Um, Cause sometimes when guys think too much, they're like, Oh shoot, time to run. And they look like they're, you know, about to take a dump out there or something. You know, I've seen that before. They do get yards, but Doty's fast enough to where, you know, I don't think you're just looking for him to gain five, six, seven, eight yards. You know, you're definitely looking for him to pick up first downs. Uh, But I I, I think he's fast and athletic enough, guys, to where uh, if he's your quarterback, you don't want him to just be a good runner. You hear that? Oh, a good runner. Yeah. You want him to be an elite runner because if he's an elite runner, i.e., he hits the crease. He knows when to run. He knows when to get upfield. He sees the green fast and athletic enough to where the band's playing sometimes. Because if it's if it's a good enough, like Connor Shaw, I remember, you know, several big runs uh, during his career. Uh, I think that Luke Doty has that type of speed and athleticism and all that. Uh, but it's just a matter of getting it done. And, and, and Satterfield during his interview did say, you know, sometimes he's going to look like – he doesn't know what he's doing. Sometimes he's going to, and he says, sometimes the offense will look like the 49ers. So, uh, you know, I, I tend to, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that content uh, or that, that comment right now. I, in years past, have, I, I cringed whenever I heard a college offensive coordinator talk about NFL. But, if you think about, you know, my career, I've been in this business since 2004, okay? Through all that time, you know, pro-style offense was sort of what they used to run at Alabama, what Jim McElwain tried to run at Florida, what Will Muschamp early on tried to run at Florida. Disaster, disaster, disaster. Uh, even Bobo at Georgia had to modify out of what Rick wanted to do a bit. And they had a really good offense, you know, LSU, Les Miles. That's what I used to think about when I think about pro style. It's different now. <laughs> uh, and, and you kind of look and, you know, Satterfield also mentioned in the interview, you know, everybody steals from everybody. And that's the truth. Um, Kyle, and, and I think what the NFL has done is 
they stole from colleges. And, and you could listen to Mike Leach if anybody ever asked him because he'll definitely tell you the NFL's running air raid stuff now all over the place, and they are. There's a lot of modified concepts and things like that. Uh, you know, so I think they kind of stole from the college level. <laughs> uh, Andy Reid and the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, a lot of their stuff came from college. It's not the classic Andy Reid offense from Philly. He's evolved. Uh, it, 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 and I think now it's just kind of they're sending it back down because, you know, I mentioned Joe Brady earlier, mentioned Steve Sarkeesian earlier. Both those guys were NFL guys. So everybody's fired up about that style of offense or whatnot. Ryan Day, Ohio State, NFL guy. Um, I, I think Clemson's offense, which is interesting, is has gone from being a, you know, the Chad Morris offense is kind of high schoolish, college-ish. Uh, and Tony Elliott's taken it and just made very few modifications. They still kind of do the same stuff. And, and now Clemson's system could probably, you know, do pretty well in the NFL. Um, whereas, you know, 2011, maybe that's not the case. So, you know, you, you sort of look at it. So the NFL has been a bit more innovative and so I didn't cringe when I heard that <laughs> uh, because those types of offenses are the offenses that are going get, to get passed back down to college uh, and that end up being pretty dynamic. You know, Now, look, does South Carolina have the players to go up and down the field? I don't know. It remains to be seen. Um, I tend to think this year is going to be offensively. And, again, season preview episodes dropping next week uh, more about running the football and all that. Now, one more interesting note from Satterfield, we'll get to the mailbag, which is, you know, expansion oriented. Um, he, you know, he did say that throwing it down the field is something that they really want to do to make explosive plays. He said, we're not going quick game all the time. They're working on downfield throwing. Um, and and I, it's a Shane Beamer thing too. You know, what, Lincoln Riley's offense at Oklahoma, and there's going to be some stuff from that there. You know, they're not, you know, they're running, 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 and then they're going downtown, you know. Uh, you look at uh, Joe Brady and the offense at LSU. Now, overwhelming talent, but they're, they really weren't running it. You know, you know looking to throw it uh, vertically. And um, the Panthers last year had, you know, some issues, but same types of concepts, same types of use of versatile players. I like the Gamecocks have that kind of thing. So those types of schemes are, you know, what teams at least are going to try. LSU hired two Panthers assistants to come back and do the Brady thing again. Uh, Kentucky hired a Sean McVay disciple. Um and then Vandy hired a guy off Cliff Kingsbury staff at, in Arizona. It's going to be kind of the Cliff Kingsbury air raid, which has kind of evolved a little bit differently than Lincoln Riley. So it's, it's kind of interesting, all these air raid variations and things like that. Um, I probably can't explain all the concepts to you uh, the right way. There's a thread on our message board on the bigspur.com. Uh, our boy L84 Verts and um, Cocktoberfest and Freehawk, those guys – uh, they just post about ball all day long, different schemes and things like that. They can probably, if you're a VIP member, which I encourage you to be because the season's here, roll in there and ask them. 
you know, if you want to really know, roll in there and ask them because they're really, really good. Uh, football X's and O's aficionados. I can tell you who can play. I can project uh, who, um, you know, who can fit into where. And I know enough scheme to know kind of, okay, this guy can fit in this spot, that type of thing on both sides of the ball. But that's where it ends. I can't sit there and draw things up and all that. Wish I could. Wish I could. But I've I've never kind of sat down and learned all that. But that's so that's the deal there, you know. And, and, and I noticed that after listening to the Satterfield press conference, that you know, after after the fact, about thirty minutes, I was sitting there thinking he did say that about the NFL. I was like, normally I would cringe because what's been and this kind of shows you how how things change in this game. What's been one of my battle cries around here? You cannot run a pro style offense at South Carolina, and I don't think that I, I think I'm right. Because that definition of a pro-style offense at the time is eye formation, heavy run, under center, uh, all the time, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but there's a lot of variety of offenses in the NFL now, so it, it is pro-style, but it's, it's a bit different. And, um, you know, you, you think about the 49ers too, uh, and I think that's probably why he mentioned this team because, you know, Shanahan's – they're not running Shanahan's system or anything, I don't think. Uh, the 49ers have all these versatile guys, you know, so you think about, you know, for example, at South Carolina, Jaheim Bell or E.J. Jenkins, uh, Kevion Mullins, um, Zaquandre White, Dakari and Joyner, guys like that that can do a lot of different things. You know, you start thinking about it and you're like, well, it makes sense to have that kind of system where you're concentrating on matchups and all that good stuff. All right, time for the I Hope Consulting Mailbag. The last one till gosh, August 12th, 13th, something like that, week and a half. Uh, again, stay tuned because there's going to be podcasts between now and then. Practice starts. Um, they'll have uh, complete coverage on the Big Spur. I'll be on the Big Spur, too, on the message board. All that good stuff, posting from the beach or whatever. But family vacation, man, I hadn't seen my mom but like one day uh, since the pandemic started. Uh, you know, she's somebody that cannot get COVID. So I said to stay away for a long time and vaccinated and living, you know, we don't live in the same place, um, at least not right now or not full time. So it'll be good to see her and some of my very, very good friends. So anyway, that's why I'm going. And so we'll see you there. But last I held consulting mailbag, like I said, when I get back, I'll answer them all. Uh, unless there's one that has a question that's been answered and all that good stuff. But I'll say this, if you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. And that's where I help consulting can help. I help as a Gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. So if you're paying too much for credit card processing, I've been there, internet, insurance, or anything else, I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if I help can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If I help can't help your business, it's no cost to you. Call or text my good friend Daniel Owens at I help 843-372-5713, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713, I help consulting. How can I help you? All right. Like I've said many times, two ways to get in to the I Help Consulting inbox. One is to tweet at us at the Big Spur Pod. 
please follow that Twitter account. We don't have any tweets at us today. We have three left over from yesterday, though. And they are all right here. First one comes in, Drew. Uh, this is about NIL. What are the rules for NIL and transfer portal? Seems like a booster could call a current player at, say, USC and imply, hey, we like what you do and we, we'd like you to represent my company. It would be great if you were in a blank jersey. Too bad you aren't. No promises are made, but implication is there. This seems like it could only exasperate the transfer portal. Also, could you better explain the 12-team playoff and how conference expansion would affect that? Larger conferences uh, appears to be a greater road to Atlanta. Are there six automatic bids for conference champs and then the six at-large highest-rated teams? Thanks, and have a good vacation, Drew. All right, so the rules for the NIL, like they didn't, the state laws are, are what governs this now because the NCAAs only had guidelines and all that. Uh, you know, the answer is I'm not aware of a rule that could, you know, keep that from happening. Um, well, let me back up. It's still against the rules to recruit players off other people's roster. Okay. Um, there are still, there's still definitions of representative of a university's athletics interest. Um, you know, what's to stop it from happening? Nothing. Could a program, while they're still under the purview of the NCAA, get in big trouble for it? Yes. How is the, you know, the NCAA enforcement staff is very toothless at the point at this point? You know, could a school just say, well, we didn't know it was a company. Could you hold the school and the program responsible? I don't know. Um. To me, though, look, man, you avoid this if you're South Carolina by having a great NIL program. Um, I also think this. I also think sometimes we don't give kids enough credit. We tend to think that, you know, these are mercenaries that will just leave. They're not. They're college kids. And if they're making plenty of money and they're happy where they're at and they're comfortable where they're at and things are well, you know, keep in mind they're in college. It's supposed to be the – you know, greatest time of their lives. Um, girlfriends are there. Friends are there outside of football. You know, they got their teammates. You know, that's there's going to be some guys that do this, uh, you know, that, that may do it or take advantage of it. And these guys will never make it in the NFL. You know, 98% of them will not. Because, you know, you, you have to have a little something to be good at this game inside of you. And – from what I've seen, you know, the, the guys that have that, you know, they know what it takes. They want to get their work done. They want to stay loyal to their teammates. They want to go win football games. And they want to go to the NFL and do the same thing. Um, you know, th they're not really interested in a super team. Now, basketball as a sport is different. And I'm not saying basketball players are selfish or anything. Basketball is much more of an individual sport, though, than football. Football is a team sport. And the folks that I've seen all 17 years that I've covered recruiting, I cannot name one recruit that handled except, you know, where it was his fault, you know. Uh, you know, Landon Collins and, uh, and Alex Collins' mom, 
uh, at all-star games or whatever, they weren't happy where they committed. And, you know, there's a lot of show about that, but, you know, I've never seen a guy that, that handled his recruitment crazy, i.e., you know, committed to six different schools at different times, um, you know, set, put, you know, put things out on social media to get a rise out of fan bases, you know, we're more concerned about hype than playing the game. Uh, I think, you know, the guy in Texas, not the quarterback that's needing the seven, that wants to do the seven figure deal with the local company or whatever, but the running back that was committed to Texas that before NIL or anything ever, ever came out, I'm skipping my senior year and getting ready for, you know, college. Uh, I'm just going to train and not play football this year. You know, that, that kind of thing. Um, Never seen a guy reach his full potential with that. Seen some guys that got drafted maybe in the seventh round, got cut, and now they're doing something else over the years. Yeah. And, look, a lot of guys I covered are doing something else because the shelf life in the NFL isn't that long. But, you know, all the great ones, all the great ones, they didn't mess around with that. They kept their eye on what's important. If they want to be great at football. So, some guys don't want to be. Um, some guys are great at football in high school and boy, I'm getting NIL and I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And, you know, maybe they're with all this NIL stuff, their life plan is to sort of, uh, you know, transfer from college to college, making NIL money and going that, but you, you have to be good to do that. And, and so I guess my point with you, Drew, and, and this is not a hundred percent because human nature, and I can't rule anything out because we are in the wild West right now. <laughs> Um, and, and like I said, it's still against the rules to recruit players off others, other people's roster. Businesses are still representatives of the university's athletic interest if they go do that. So I, I would think that would be illegal with the NCAA and everybody's still for now operating underneath the NCAA, uh, just got a, an alert from the athletic, they're going to meet this fall and redo their constitution. So it's a, it's a constitutional convention for the NCAA. So I don't know what rules will come out for that. But um, my opinion is, is that probably with very few exceptions, if you have a great player, that great player, uh, as long as you're not like Tennessee with turnover and gosh, um, probation and, and things like that where those guys all left. Uh, and as long as you're not in a toxic situation, you know, South Carolina lost some players during transition too. That's going to happen every time there's a coaching change. You know, as long as your needs are being met, which in most cases they are, those guys aren't going to leave. You know, no matter what kind of money is out there. And, and quite frankly, I, I, I don't know that – you know, I think if that happened enough and people knew about it and, and, you know, well, this guy was here, he was our best player, you know, some other school comes along that needs him because they lost their running back to the NFL or whatever player. Um, his NIL deal here was like this and now it's like that. I mean, you can connect the dots there. You know, the NCAA should – declare that guy ineligible and maybe they should make a rule about that but um you know who, who knows about the ncaa at all they've they've kind of been on the sidelines here so 
you know, I, I, I'm going to stick with this and uh, I'm going to say that if it, it truly is a great player worth keeping, then he's not going to do that because the guys that actually love the game, work hard, want to play the game, want to play the game for a living, have aspirations. They're too busy and committed to, to the, the path they're on to deviate over, over some money, you know, um, cause they're not in the pros yet. You know, you, you don't, you're not in the pros yet. Uh, now, you know, there's all kinds of things that could make that. I mean, what if, what if the player's life situation changes and all of a sudden it's a, it's a life or death deal, family deal where they need them. You know, that that's all different, but that's why you don't recruit guys with uh, overly ambitious uh, helicopter parents. <laughs> this is helicopter parents are going to come back to get you, you know, and so maybe there's an extra layer of evaluation there. Drew says, he continues, could you better explain the 12 team playoff and how conference expansion would affect that larger conferences appear to be a greater road to Atlanta. Uh, are there six automatic bids for conference champs and then the six at large highest rated teams? Um, no, there are no auto bids. Okay. So, so here's what happens. Um, they're the, the highest rated conference champs, the six highest rated conference champs, right? And, I, and I'll throw a hypothetical uh, out there at you because this is the, the – um, last year, even though it was a COVID year, we're going to use these rankings uh, because they kind of are an example – of an outlier where it can, once I've kind of looked at it, it, uh, it made sense uh, as to what they were saying. Cause I kind of got messed up too when I was going back in time and projecting. So that's, uh, that's kind of what, what the deal is there. So, all right, I'm taking the 2020 college football rankings after the, you know, after the sec championship game and all that. Okay. So, your six highest-rated conference champions last year in COVID, uh, and then I'm going to go back to the previous year and a normal situation to explain it to you. So your six highest-rated conference champs were Bama of the SEC, Clemson of the ACC, Ohio State of the Big Ten, Cincinnati of the American – um, Oklahoma of the Big 12. Cincinnati would be uh, over Oklahoma. And ding, 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 Coastal Carolina of the Sun Belt. <laughs> so see, it's a messed up year because you, you'd get two because the Pac-12 champs, Oregon, and, and Oregon got into the Pac-12. They're 25th. Um, so even though they're the Pac-12 champs last year, they're out. Now, they only played six games, et cetera, et cetera. So then it's the next six highest. So, so those would be your top six. Notre Dame is not eligible for the top, you know, the auto bids or whatever. Notre Dame can never have a home game either because the buys are reserved for the top four conference champs. So Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Cincinnati, all would get buys. So you go back. So Notre Dame is in. They're, they're there. You know, Texas A&M is in. Indiana is in. Florida is in. Georgia is in. And Iowa State is in. 
So, so that's kind of, that's how it works. Now that's an outlier year because you have Cincinnati and Coastal getting auto bids, and that's not normally what happens. So let's go back to 2019 and look at the playoff poll, and I'll tell you what happens there because this is a little different, right? There we go. So 2019, I think it's a little different. I haven't actually sketched this out, so bear with me here, Drew. Um, so here's so so six highest rated conference champs. LSU's in SEC champ. Ohio State is in at number two, Big Ten champ. Clemson's in at three, ACC champ. Oklahoma is in at four, that is the Big Twelve champ. Oregon is in at five as the Pac-12 champ. Then you go all the way down. Let me make sure I'm not missing somebody to Memphis, the American at six. So that's the one group of five for 2019. And then who else is in? UGA is in Georgia. Florida's in. Um, Baylor is in the conference uh, or the playoff. Bama is in. Auburn is in. And Wisconsin's in. Well, and the shame about this thing, though, is like, you know, you, you kind of look at it. and Auburn makes it in 2019 over Utah, who under the four-team formula, had they beaten Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, they were in, most likely. Uh, so the mighty can fall quickly, or the, the alleged mighty. Uh, so that's, that, that's how that would work out. So how many SEC teams won? two, three, four, five SEC teams in 2019. And it's sort of interesting because, you know, you talk about divisions and pods and things like that. You know, Georgia and Florida are ranked higher than Alabama-Auburn, even though they're in a much easier division. And and that's that's going to factor because it doesn't, you know, it, it – it, it's going to take a while, I think, for the people that are ranking the playoff poll uh, to sort of get into the, the mode of, all right, for these at-larges, we really need to weigh strength of schedule because I, I don't know that they will. So I hope that answers your question uh, with the playoff uh, and all that good stuff. Thanks, Drew. Appreciate it. And I appreciate you telling me to have a good vacation. Thank you so much. Ty said, JC, I really enjoy listening to all your podcasts and your take on college football, especially pertaining to the Gamecocks. Thank you. In reference to the buyout issue of Texas and Oklahoma with the Big 12, other conferences, the ACC Pac-12 start picking off most of the remaining teams in the Big 12, and that caused the collapse of the Big 12. Wouldn't that get them all out of the obligation to pay the exit fee? Thanks for your thoughts. Yes. At that point, the conference would just dissolve. Because, I mean, why would you, you know, you're going to go say, you owe us all this money, Texas and Oklahoma, but we're going to go join the Pac-12, you know. Well, then you owe them a bunch of money. So, and and, and that was what the big, Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, sent a scathing. And Mike Morgan and I talked about this on the most recent episode of J.C. Morgan. We had two episodes this week, by the way. Barrett Jones, former Alabama lineman, joined us. Talked about the 2010 loss they took to South Carolina, uh, lots of other things. And then Mike and I talked about this. So Bowlesby sent us – that was his contention with uh, ESPN was, you know, accused them basically of 
going to the American conference and encouraging the American to invite, you know, five of the remaining eight big 12 teams uh, and, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, we'll give you a bigger TV deal. Uh, and then that way the big 12 dissolves and Texas and Oklahoma can start anytime they want. Um, that was the accusation. Now ESPN came back and said it's completely unfounded and, you know, sent a scathing email back. Uh, and, and I don't know who to believe scathing letter or whatever. I, and I don't know who to believe my, my guess is no matter what's happened, uh, you know, who, who, whose legal team probably has uh, all their I's dotted and T's crossed. Let's see the one side of the ledger. There's the Walt Disney company. We all know who they are, which is ESPN. There's um, the Southeastern conference. We know who they are. Okay. SEC, uh, university of Texas at Austin. And that would also include the state of Texas. The uh, University of Oklahoma, which would also include the state of Oklahoma. So they're on one side here. And then the other side is the Big 12, which is, you know, been hanging by a thread now for about 15 years. So <laughs> I don't know, man. You tell me whose who's legal team uh, is prepared for all contingencies, you know, like, uh, like the guy from the blacklist. Raymond Reddington. He's compared, he's prepared for all contingencies. So, you know, and I don't know, I don't know what happened or not. I don't know. It makes sense. Maybe there was some informal talk and it certainly is in the best interest of Texas, Oklahoma, the SEC, ESPN, whoever, uh, for the big 12 to dissolve. Uh, quite frankly, I think if you could find a place for some of these teams to go, um, cause I think they're, all pretty worried. I mean, Kansas football is probably, you know, still in the abyss, but they have aspirations and they play big time athletics at Kansas. You know, it's not like they don't have a national, you know, uh, national level basketball program there. Um, you know, I think they're all worthy. Uh, but if you find them someplace to go, you, you can kill it off pretty quick, pretty quick. And so, uh, so I don't know. It may have happened. But my guess is legally, all I's are dotted, all T's are crossed uh, in that situation. So, but yeah, you're right about that, Ty. If uh, if the league dissolves, you're not, um, you know, you're not gonna uh, not gonna have to pay anything. Tristan says, JC, how long do you think it will take before Oklahoma and Texas? even out with each other once they join the SEC. It will probably help Texas recruiting just a little. And Oklahoma loses two to four games a year, which will knock them down a notch. So I think they'll be looked at as second tier after year two of OU getting knocked down. What do you think? Uh, Oklahoma, you know, if, if you're just – and look, a lot of it depends on what it is. <clears throat> How much time do you have? Uh, Oklahoma's kind of, you know – started to build defense a bit. Uh, Alex Grinch is um, a good defensive coordinator. They're getting more physical. They're better on that side of the ball. Uh, it's nothing compared to <clears throat> some of those championship teams Oklahoma had, uh, not only in the 80s with Barry Switzer and all that, but also, you know, under Bob Stoops. 
you know, it, it's a, it's a situation where that program is not playing any defense for a while. They're more of an offensive team, you know, so it just kind of depends, you know, when, when is the year where we see there and, and look, you know, all this talk aside about the sec and expansion, there's a lot of people out there that feel like Oklahoma's the favorite to win the national championship this year. Like this is their turn that 2021 is their year. Um, and it's because of the improvement they have on defense and the fact they can score with anybody in the country. You know, so the question is, when do they get in the league? And at that point, what's their defense look like? You know, that's my question about it. Um, and then there's a, there's a bigger conversation, I think, about what really was 2020 in the SEC. Was it a COVID year where things were cattywampus and defenses just were down because they didn't have the practice time and offenses had an advantage and went up and down the field? And, you know, because another thing nobody talks about when they talk about the COVID year and the lack of practice time on defense and the opt outs and all that is that there was no crowd noise. You know, it was piped in somewhere, but there's a big difference between you know, intimidation wise between just loud noise, which you pipe in at practice anyway, uh, over a speaker and, you know, an actual mob, you know, of 80,000 sitting in the stands bearing down on you. That has another mental effect on offenses and, you know, uh, operationally and all that. That's why it's tough to go on the road. That's why you yell when the other team has the ball. (laughs) That's just kind of how it happens. Um, and there were no crowds last year. So, you know, maybe that had something to do with it too. Yeah. But it, it, so, so is last year just, you know, a strange year because we had a lot of games last year. I mean, Missouri, Arkansas, I remember 50 to 48. Missouri, Mississippi State was 51 32. Missouri, 44. LSU, 34 in an opener. They scored 78. Even Tennessee, South Carolina was 31 27. Gamecocks played some you know, relatively high scoring games um, picked a bad year to not play defense. And then well, I'll put it this way, picked a bad year to have an all sec schedule and uh, no crowds and, and, and to where the league was geared towards the offenses. And then everybody opt out. That was, you know, cause the Gamecocks last year had it been just a normal year. You know, the, the plan was, you know, Bobo's going to run the offense. You got a stud freshman running back in Marshawn Lloyd when he came in, you got Holinsky coming back. You're going to be limited at receiver, but you still have shy and a tight end, and maybe somebody else comes along, and you're going to run the ball, and you got a lot of players coming back on defense, and you're going to stop people. And you're going to melt clock, and that's how you're going to win games. That, that was the plan because of the personnel. And quite frankly, the schedule, you know, you look at it and said Coastal, East Carolina, and Missouri, three straight home games to open the season. I think by doing that, even with Colin Hill at quarterback, you know, because first couple of games he played pretty well. And, you know, even with Kevin Harris back there instead of Marshawn Lloyd, Gamecocks probably could have taken care of that. But uh, that just didn't happen. Gamecocks spent a terrible – it was a terrible time for Will Muschamp, which is the story of his career, by the way. Timing is bad. You know, injury. You know, we're not here to talk about that, though, because I know a lot of you folks are still mad at him and happy that he's not there and – all that good stuff. But, uh, you know, so, so that's what happened to South Carolina. So, so, the, so the question I have with Oklahoma, Tristan, is, you know, are they the prototype moving forward for a successful SEC team, depending on how much better they get on defense? 
because you just had a national champion in Alabama went up and down the field. They, they scored with the best of them. Defense wasn't so great. They got scored upon. A, lot, a big difference between that team in 2011 that won 21 to nothing over LSU in the finals and lost to them 9-6 early. You know, you look at the year before, LSU-Bama was a 46-41 ball game. Bama-Auburn was 48-45. Was that a trend? You know, 2019 defenses were fine. So, so is that a trend? I don't know. I just don't know. That Bama Auburn game, by the way, there was a couple of pick sixes, so the defenses did make a big difference in the game. So, so, so that's my question with Oklahoma: is you know, are they the new prototype, and will we see them come in and not miss a beat? Uh, you know, and I say all that acknowledging the fact that we all thought A&M was going to get their brains beat in and they go 11-2 and two, thanks to Johnny Manziel. And we all thought Missouri was going to struggle. They did struggle. They went 4-8. and eight, And then the next thing you know, they turn around and win the division two years in a row. Um, we all thought Miami, everybody and their brother, that's why they put the ACC championship games in Tampa and Jacksonville you know, and put Miami and FSU in opposite divisions. Everybody and their brother thought, wow, we're going to have Miami and FSU – from now to the end of time in the ACC championship game. And, and it didn't happen. Boston College and Virginia Tech were playing. Georgia Tech and Wake Forest were playing. Clemson and Georgia Tech were playing. And they finally were like, well, gosh, we better move this thing to Charlotte. <laughs> uh, and Miami's won one division in 2017. They played the worst Clemson team that they've had since the run. Still a pretty good football team and a playoff team. And Clemson spanked them badly. Uh, and so who knew Miami when they got into the league was kind of going to fall on a spider web and go into the wilderness. So, you, so my point of all that is you never know, but when I'm talking about, when you're talking about Oklahoma, that, that would be my question. Just as long as things are, as we expect. Okay. Texas. It, it, yeah. They're going to be able to sell it on the recruiting trail. Um, I'll remind people that Texas recruits in the top five most recruiting cycles anyway. Um, and, and I'll just, you know, we'll just, we'll just point this out here. Let's just be honest. Uh, okay. So I'll go back. 2021 was a transition year to start. They still finished 14th in the country. So let's go back to 2019, 2019, Texas finishes third in the country. Uh, ahead of Texas A&M, ahead of Oklahoma, ahead of Florida, ahead of Auburn, Tennessee. Um, only behind Georgia and Alabama. Hmm. Number one in the Big 12. Hmm. Hmm. I guess brands do matter, huh? 2020, Texas finishes eighth in the country in recruiting. Only 20 commits, those small class. That year it went Georgia, Bama, Clemson, LSU, Ohio State, AM, Auburn, Texas. So take out Clemson, Ohio State. This class would have been sixth in the Southeastern Conference. So there you go. Oklahoma, on the other hand, who's, you know, kept it rolling all these years, I think finished 12th behind Oregon, just out of North Carolina. Let's go back. Let's go back uh, 2017. 
Would that be Tom Herman's first class? Let's look for the Longhorns here. Oh, Longhorns, mm, 25th. So not good. Let's go to 2018. I think 2017 was a transition year. 2018, third, 27 people in the class. Georgia, Texas, Ohio State. So, so you're looking at classes like in Texas that have been top five, top ten, top five, top ten. The worst one was 25 during a transition year. They were 14th during a transition this past year. So if you put a lot of stock in the team rankings, which I, I think they matter, but I think that data should not be treated like a score. You know, in other words, fine. In other words, your your data determining who wins a football game is based on the scoreboard, right? Who has the most points wins the game. That's fundamental. Um, with team rankings, you know, you can't look at it in a given year and go, okay, Texas had the best class, so they're going to be good. You know, no, that's not it. It's 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 over time. It's who leaves. Uh, it's who's misevaluated. It's who's, you know, evaluated right. It's who works hard. I mean, it's, it's a talent maximization sport. There's all these factors that go into football and talent and roster. You know, that said, Texas has been successful enough, and, and some of these classes are pretty big. You know, 27 guys in the 2018 class, really good players. Not a lot of people drafted. That showed, That tells me it's cultural. That tells me it's it, it's cultural. Now, five guys drafted in 2021. They had three in 2020, two in 2019, four in 2018. So that's that's their draft deal. Okay, um, that's at Texas. Let's uh, let's roll back here. I'm gonna throw you a little TCU, right? <laughs> you know, TCU during that time only two in 2021. Five in 2020, three in 2019, three in 2018, one in 2017, five in 2016. So, you know, where is TCU finished in, in recruiting? If we want to want to map this out here, well, <laughs> this is fun. You know, they did finish third in the Big 12, 25th nationally, class of 2018. Uh, go back. No, nowhere near Texas, right? Nowhere near the Longhorns. Um, 2017, well, third again. That's pretty solid, you know. Let's look at 2019 here for TCU. Oh, 2019. Oh, do we have a third again? We have a third again. Isn't it amazing how all of a sudden TCU is finishing third? You know, it's just kind of weird. It's kind of like Missouri in the SEC finished exactly 35th like four years in a row in the 24-7 sports composite team recruiting rankings. Yeah, so, so that's what I'm saying about team rankings. They're going to they're gonna, – a lot of times your team recruiting ranking, no matter who you are, if you're a brand, it's going to stay somewhat consistent. I know there was the one year Southern Cal finished 75th with only 12 guys or whatever. Um, but it's kind of funny how it happens, but that's not reflect that doesn't in what happens on Saturdays because teams go up and down a little more dramatically than that. And then some teams never, you know, Texas, Florida State, they, they don't they don't do any better than what they did. Now, uh that tells me there's a culture problem. I, I don't I, I don't think Texas has been lacking for 
guys that are big and fast that can run, that can play ball, that were good players. I don't think they've been lacking for that at all. I don't think they were lacking for them. Charlie Strong, Tom Herman, the end of Mac Brown, nothing. They have players. They don't always maximize, and you can tell that by the NFL draft numbers. That said, that said, you know, last year, that Texas team that got Tom Herman fired, uh, I saw him play a lot. I didn't feel like that was Texas football with the way they were playing, uh, considering the opponents at times and kind of the spirit of the game. But the bottom line is this. I mean, Texas did not finish too far off from the playoff. You say, what? How did Tom Herman get fired? A number of reasons. <laughs> I think they're mad at, mad about losing to TCU and teams like that. But, uh, you know, you go through it and they, you know, they, they lost by two to TCU. They lost by eight to Oklahoma. They lost by three at home to Iowa State. Uh, they barely beat West Virginia 17-13. That's the game I watched where I was like, eh. They did get up off the mat and beat Oklahoma State. Uh, they scored almost 70 against K-State, and um, they played a bowl game against Colorado and beat the snot out of them, and I think out of bowl. But, you know, three games by a total of three, eight, two, ten points. So are they that far off? I don't know. I don't know, because it's against TCU and Iowa State. Uh, when you're talking about the SEC – um, I think for them to be able to come into the SEC and compete at a high level, they have to they have to get more blue collar out there. They have to get tougher. Uh, like most Big Twelve teams, they're going to have to get better on defense. Uh, I don't think they're going to come in and sneak and surprise everybody uh, like Missouri did because Missouri, for about ten years prior, was sneaky good at recruiting on the D line. Missouri you know, cycled up at that position with Michael Sam and those guys they hit on and they, they had an SEC level D line. And, and that was really good. Um, I think it's cultural. So one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to get it together soon and big 12 or SEC or wherever, they're going to start winning and playing like the, you know, one of the top seven programs in college football, or they're going to get thrown to the fire that first year. And it's going to be a, a an eye opening experience. And sometimes when, you know, things are cultural and you talk about toughness and, you know, values and, 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 you know, all that, which that stuff is still important for college football programs. I know that a lot of people uh, inside college football programs, not fans, are worried about the NIL and things like that having an impact on that. But I think I think there's some smart enough coaches out there to get to, to make sure they, they work with it, go with the flow. I think Shane Beamer is one of those guys, by the way. Um. You know, all that's important. And and so sometimes if you're struggling with that and you're a football program, getting hit in the mouth and having an extremely humbling experience is exactly what you need to have happen. Um, and so on Texas, I, I don't really care where they finish in recruiting, if they beat A&M on a kid or not, because the SEC, they – you know, it's hard to tell because they finished in the top five already. Watch them play. You know, if they start going out there and, and kicking butt and taking names and, and looking good doing it, and you're like, my God, there's a lot of good NFL guys on this team that love football, and then go out there and, and play with the best of them, Texas is going to be ready for any team in the country. Any. 
You know, I mean that that that's just how it is. It's Texas. But if that doesn't happen, you know, let's say let's say Billy Napier goes out to Austin and pulls a shocker, and then Sam Pippen does it the next weekend, and Sark starts zero and two. It's going to be a long year, and the, and they haven't even joined the SEC yet. Um, my guess is they're going to be the eight to ten win team that they that they usually are. You're going to cycle up to 11. They're going to be pretty confident walking in. Um, and then if their culture of their program truly has changed and it's not an entitlement. And remember, remember I said earlier this week, entitlement sinks programs. If you want to know why Texas isn't great anymore or why Texas has won the big 12 only three times, what years, many years they've had a sense of entitlement. They're the mighty Texas Longhorns. They're just going to show up. And, and I think the genius of some of their boosters getting them in the SEC finally and kind of thinking outside the box on this is, all right, you know, Longhorns are, you know, because the Longhorn fans are, you know, they're confident fans and they think University of Texas hung the moon. Don't get me wrong, but they've seen it. They've seen the way they've been performing. I, I, and they've seen the fact that they've gone – for Mac Brown, and you know, it is easy to hang it on Mac's head because he was getting older, and he's, you know, Mac's a, a good old kind of politician guy. You know, well, it's from the University of Texas Longhorns, you know. Um, you're like, oh, we, we got to get somebody tough in here, and you know, they're dreaming of Nick Saban, and Nick Saban would have changed it around. I can assure you that. But look, man, I know Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong's a tough guy, tough as nails. You know, he coached for Lou Holtz and Urban Meyer. That guy, tough. you're not tough. You're not going to play for Charlie Strong. He failed at getting it right in three years. I know Tom Herman. You know, Tom Herman, again, coached for Urban Meyer. His Houston teams were physical, fast, tough. They would knock you in the mouth, and he would run it up your butt. Look at Ohio State when he was the offensive coordinator. The year they won the national championship with a third-string quarterback. One day they ran it up people's butt. They're the more physical football team. When he took the job, I was, that's why I kind of I wanted him to take the Carolina job. I was like, this guy is he, he's got some special qualities about him, you know, toughness, you know, all that fires people up, you know. That's when he's at Houston. Uh you know, he'll get it right then. If Charlie couldn't do it, Tom Herman will get it right. No, failed. And, and they didn't play like a, like Houston did when Tom was coach there. You know, so that, big questions about Sarkeesian, man. He brought a lot of Alabama people with him. Uh, we all know from experience here that the Alabama plan does not work everywhere else, you know. Um, I think that Kirby smart because he's a Georgia guy and because Kirby was with Saban for so long, you know, you, you look at it and you're like, well, if you do the same things at Georgia, you did at Alabama, you can go 52 and 13, 52 and 14, whatever he's gone. I think Rick was 52 and 13. He's 52 and 14. And, you know, in the playoff era, you're able to win a national championship. If you have two great backs like that, you play Georgia football, there are years it's going to work. You know, and you're going to go evaluate, you know, try to win battles and get five stars and things like that. And if that's the plan, that's the plan. Um, everybody else, your Jeremy Pruitts, Derek Dooley's, Will Muschamps of the world, um, 
you know, I know everybody lumps Jimbo in with uh, Nick Saban. I mean, he's the offensive coordinator at LSU way back when. He actually didn't even go with Saban to the Dolphins. He stayed on with Les Miles and uh, then took the Florida State situation or whatever. Jimbo's Jimbo, right? I'm sure he took some things from Saban, but Jimbo's Jimbo. You know, there's Billy Napier out there who's doing well at Louisiana. I mean, it's not like all of Saban's guys aren't good, but, you know, you're going to try to recreate that at Texas, you know, with Sarkeesian leading it, you know. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin is a Saban reclamation project and learned a lot from him, but Lane Kiffin runs things like Lane Kiffin. And in my opinion, Steve Sarkeesian, because he's been a head coach before, Yes, he may have learned some things from Saban, but I think he's going to run it like Steve Sarkeesian, and he's a Pac-12 coach. And in the Pac-12, I'm not saying none of those teams are tough because they are, and I like the football out there. I like it a whole lot better than the Big 12 because at times they do play defense. It's just a different style of football out there, you know, on both sides of the ball. So is he going to be the guy that's going to set the tone and change the culture and get it done at Texas? Texas has plenty of talent, raw talent. But like I've been preaching on this podcast all week, it's a game where you still have to work and develop, you know. And, and I'm sorry uh, to the fans out there, Gamecock fans mostly here on this podcast, but all fans, that star ratings have become what they've become, where you have fans literally sitting around trashing their own recruits. You know, they, they don't watch the film. They don't care about the measurables. They, they don't care about anything. That They're – you know, and, and looking up at the Bamas of the world and saying, no, oh, we don't have any five stars. Five stars busted a 60, 40% clip. With NIL, depending on how much they make, like I said the other day, it's going to be about, you're going to bust about 60, 65. You know, that doesn't, you know, there's 32 five stars. You can't, you know, those guys don't mean, you know, like I said, it's good to recruit well. Five stars aren't everything. They're not. Uh, you know, Texas has signed its share, by the way. So, yeah, and, and look, I'll go this. I'll, I'll, I'll throw one more thing. This is a good way to kind of close this bad boy down, right? Go back to 2020. Here we go. We have this thing on 24-7 Sports called the t- Team Talent Composite, right? So the Team Talent Composite takes everybody on your roster in a given year, what were they rated in high school? And, you know, there's no, you know, th- there's no thought given to development or un- or these guys being underrated. And, and to me, this is, this drives me crazy because it's, it's basically telling everybody in college football that, you know, and, and when, when I did evaluations, I, I was hopeful that I would really do well. Uh, and I would defend my decisions and all that. And if I was wrong, I was wrong. And I was wrong a lot. And everybody is. And it's worse than it is. I mean, it's, they're really – composite is more accurate. But if you kind of look at some of the decisions people make, it, it's really not – it's not even a realistic picture because, you know, you, you you have so much more now of brand name programs getting the benefit of the doubt in the four low four-star range. Uh, everybody else says take three, so numerically that affects you. So let me let me just read this off to you right now. 2020 college football team talent composite. I wish they wouldn't call it this. I wish they would say something like, you know, recruiting class composite. 
because the, the, they put the, you know, the roster together. How, how does it rank, you know, in terms of how they are rated as recruits? I, I think if you want a true team talent composite, you go back and reevaluate everybody, you come up with another formula and you spit that out. You know, you could even go after the fact and say, all right, these guys went to the NFL. This is how, this is how talented they were this year. Um, you know, I think that would hold coaches accountable if after the year you went back and like, oh, so who had a good year? Who was, who got drafted? You know, here's how we rank them. Here's how we evaluate them. And then you spit a number out and you're like, why did you go five and seven? <laughs> I mean, it's not fair to sit there if you got a bunch of five stars that don't want to even work, that, that, that are, 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 are some that never play or injured or whatever. And you're like, oh, well, your talent composite was this. Why didn't you win more games? You know, so I think this is not something that's valid in terms of looking at who's on the roster and evaluating current teams. Now, what you can evaluate is, you know, how many highly touted kids have you signed over the years? So it's, it's, it's good for that. That's why I have it up. Texas is fifth, folks. Georgia's actually first, which, you know, take that for what it's worth, even though Alabama – Size the number one class most years. Georgia's, you know, got that. Uh, that may be why Eric Gilbert and Darian Kendrick, you know, made everybody say this is a do or die national championship year for Kirby, which is ridiculous. Uh, they may win it, don't get me wrong, but as I've said many times, that it's not going to be because those guys, you know, oh, they're because basically what they're saying is they're taking away everything else about those guys. They're going back to high school, most likely to succeed. And and say, oh yeah, it's gonna put Georgia over the top, guy. No, no, it's not. JT Daniel, the way he plays, Zamir White, the way he runs, the way their offensive line does, will they call plays? Will they be creative? Who else steps up at receiver? And then can that front, which is a monster, uh, really attack people? And can their secondary hold up? You know, Kendrick could be part of that. I think the kid from West Virginia is probably gonna be really good. And I'm you know, been told by a pretty good source. They, they sort of wish they did. They sort of wish the, the rumors about Jamie Robinson coming there were true. He's at Florida State. So, so here we go. Texas is fifth. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, top four. Team talent composite. Uh, Texas is fifth. They're ahead of LSU. They're ahead of Notre Dame. Oklahoma's ninth, <laughs> you know, and then you got Southern Cal sitting there. They're they're a nice eight and four team, right? A and M's eleventh, you know. Auburn is fourteenth. Their coach got fired. This was from last year. Um, maybe they looked at this and thought, "Wow, you know, Tennessee's fifteenth, three and seven in the league. Florida State, Florida State's sixteenth in this thing, right? The Gamecocks." They went two and eight last year or 21st, 21st, you know, and I'm of the opinion there are some guys on the roster that just haven't maximized yet. And I'm also of the opinion a lot of these guys are young. Um, a lot of these guys have been injured, a lot of injuries. So this accounts for none of that. This is basically like, okay, what have you been doing numerically in recruiting the last few years, you know, according to who's still there? So that's, that's the thing there. But, but back to my point, if you go through the top nine, two of these teams absolutely don't belong. 
you know, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, they've been to the playoff. LSU won a national championship. Florida, you know, won the SEC East last year. It's debatable there, but Florida's seven. Notre Dame's been a two-playoff. Oklahoma's won, what, how many straight Big 12s? You know, Southern Cal's struggling. But A&M's on the other side of it. You know, so, so, so but the Texas thing's really interesting. Really interesting because it's far enough up there and close enough to some of these other guys with regards of who they've signed uh, um, to where it indicates a culture problem because, you know, some of these guys aren't – they're not getting drafted. You know, you watch them play and they're it's a soft team. I, you know, I don't know. So I say all that to answer your question. It's a long way to answer the question because I want to end it with a bang. Um. I say all that to say this. It 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 uh, it's going to be interesting when the Longhorns come in. I think Oklahoma is very simple: fix your defense, and I think you're going to be fine. And they're in the process of doing that. Um, Texas, when you're talking about culture change and all that, you know, you, you know, who knows? Um, I'll, I'll close with this too. On that note, close with Texas on this, and we'll. Shut the book on this. I've been surprised before, and Sark may surprise me. Um, Pete Carroll, six, you know, Southern Cal needed a culture change bad when he went there. West Coast guy, been in the NFL, you're kind of scratching your head, whatever. He shows up. Um, culture change. Started getting great players. Who knew Pete Carroll was going to be able to do that? I mean, you know, Pete Carroll's one of the greatest coaches in the history of football now. He's won a Super Bowl. You know, he's kind of a mediocre head coach in the NFL, and he went out to took the Trojans' job and, you know, surprised people. So maybe Sark will do that at Texas. If not, I think the getting bludgeoned over and over again in the SEC uh, will cause the problem to right itself. And I think the boosters out there and the powers that be at Texas feel that way. I think deep down inside, they're like, look, we are mediocre. This league, in a lot of ways, is is bringing us down. And I've said this from the start about Texas and Oklahoma and the Big 12 and the style of play. They let Texas Tech and Baylor dictate to them what they were going to be. You know, those two schools, Texas and Oklahoma, used to line up, run over people, big on the line of scrimmage, defense, physical you know, and you can't just do that anymore. It's unrealistic. Alabama doesn't even do that anymore. But they lost their edge because they became Texas. To every high school in the state became Texas Tech. Mike Leach is laughing. You know, and Art Bryle, Mike Leach and Art Bryle is laughing. You know, and, and, and so I, I think the powers that be finally woke up and realized they're like, we got to do something. Um. And if they're smart, it's not about signing more five-star guys and having good recruiting classes because you're already doing that on paper, you know. So what's there to celebrate? You're doing what you've always done. It's about culture. And how are you going to fix something that some very smart and tough guys have not been able to fix? And 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 hopefully for the Longhorns, Sark can fix it. I just don't know. Background says no, but you know what? Charlie and Tom Herman's background said yes. So I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again. 
Shout out Jim Jeffries. All right, J.C. Sherbert signing off. Whew, this time, this time will be about an hour from touching down in uh, the Grand Strand in Myrtle Beach. Uh, going down there, and uh, we'll be back for you. Got some things set up. Um, listen, if you're looking on the website uh, for the, you know, the new pods next week, the the special pods that are all pre-recorded, by the way. Um, just, uh, you know, they're not going to be there probably, uh, I'll put a link up on the message board to Apple iTunes and all that, uh, and where you can get the embed or whatever, depending on how you listen to it. You can you always get it on Spotify, uh, audible Apple iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, so I'll put a link up for that. It'll show up on that. And it'll probably also show up on at the bigs per pod, the Twitter account, or I'm sorry, let me back up. Uh, it'll be on at the Big Spur Pod, also at the Big Spur 24-7, our, our thebigspur.com account. So we'll do that. Special thanks to iHelp Consulting uh, for sponsoring the epic iHelp Consulting mailbag today. That was a long, long, long mailbag answer. <laughs> at the end, 843-372-5713, Daniel Owens, iHelpConsulting.com. Also, thanks to Heritage Digital, who sponsors our first segment. Give Matt a call there. He can fix your IT troubles. All right, folks. Um, by the time we speak again, and it's a not a pre-recorded thing, JC will uh, be back from the beach, and uh, the Gamecocks will be about three or four days into practice. So we'll have some some ball to talk about. Send those uh, inbox. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, mailbag mailbag questions mailbag questions. And if I'm gonna call it the mailbox, I don't know. My brain's fried. I've been trying to trying to tie up a lot of loose ends. Send those in uh, inside the game at gmail.com. Tweet that the big spur pod. I'll answer all of them when I get back. We'll just have a big mailbag extravaganza, maybe two because it, I don't want to go too long with it. But anyway, I appreciate each and every one of you Gamecocks and fans of other schools. If you listen to this uh, out there, it's, it's, it's been just a tremendous, exciting fulfilling week talking about all this stuff with you guys um looking at the positives negatives whatever uh it's it's really been a fulfilling couple of months you know if you want to get right down to it and um you know i i I love this have a dream job covered a program i grew up loving make good money uh life is good this is J.C. Sherbert signing off for vacation, folks, inside the Gamecocks podcast. Holla at you in about 13 days. See you soon.